Okay. Hi, everyone. Hope you're all well and healthy in this COVID times. And today we have a special guest, Shoev Walters. Uh, good day, Shoev. It's a pleasure to have you here. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm very well. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, I'm excited to be part, uh, obviously, to be part of your podcast. And yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, I'm doing well. Obviously, under the circumstances, I'm sure everybody's a little bit frustrated um, and anxious and obviously nervous with the, with the COVID spreading so uh, rapidly like it is in South Africa. But be that as it may, we also have some good times and uh, these are the good memories that we're obviously trying to uh, bring into the tough times that we're having at the moment. 100%. percent uh, just like to introduce our guests with a bit of history. Shoaib is a former Bafana Bafana, Bloemfontein Celtic, Maritzburg United, Mpumalanga Black Aces, Cape Town City and Ajax Cape Town goalkeeper. That is a ton of experience in football in the PSL of South Africa. He was part of the Bafana Bafana 2010 World Cup squad and that is just amazing. I mean, uh, I have a lot of questions, but I'd like to start with this. I mean, that experience, you've experienced the biggest stage football has to offer. How was that experience for you? What, like, what have you learned from it? Yeah, even now, I mean, you just, you're just mentioning the World Cups, but I mean, every time I do a podcast or interview, even that time, it just brings goosebumps all over again. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a phenomenal time, phenomenal experience, and um, something that I will obviously cherish, cherish um, for for the rest of my life. Like I said, every time somebody mentions it, it brings goosebumps, uh, and I don't know, I don't know if if if, if Alzheimer's is kicking in early, but I mean, I can speak, I can you can speak about the 2010 World Cup in. 10 or 15 years from now to feel like it's yesterday. Even now, it feels like it's yesterday. Uh, last year, when we spoke about it in the 10-year in the anniversary, it felt like it was yesterday. So, yeah, it's something that is literally in the memory bank and just, yeah, just brings brings back uh, a lot of goosebumps. Like I say, it was, it was a phenomenal experience um, with regards to getting um, the experience um, Mixing with the type of players that we mixed with, uh, um, players that we've competed with, um, and it's not only it wasn't only the the World Cup itself. It was just the build up to the World Cup. Uh, started in two thousand and nine already when I got a few call ups, uh, got injured um, in Germany after literally being there for one day. Uh, swapping jerseys with Manuel Neuer. He was third choice for Germany at the time. Um, and then uh, not being selected for the original squad that went uh, to Brazil, March 2010. And then getting a call-up because of the unfortunate injury to Emil Baron in Brazil. And then just, you know, flying out a couple of days later, meeting up with the team coming back home to South Africa uh, and then flying again out to Germany for another month and just, yeah, just all that experience and and then the whole anxious and um, nervous times before, just before the World Cup because we were originally 30 players and were four goalkeepers um, and we had um, we, we had uh, four goalkeepers and yeah, 
I mean, we had experience in the goalkeeping department. And for me, as a as, as a player, uh, not representing your country in playing terms, um, you you're up against players that are regulars. You know that uh, you're Rowan Fernandez, you're Munib Joseph, you're Tumalin Kunis. So it was it was yeah, it was very anxious times. But yeah, I just kept my you know kept my head up, uh, confident all the time. And if I was training, I was being confident. Um, we had uh, the second assistant at that time, which was Pizzo Mosimani, you know, giving always the encouraging words when, when he could see maybe I was a little bit down or uh, dishearted, uh, you know, not even, you know, getting a friendly in or even when we played against clubs in Brazil or Germany, uh, not even getting game time. But he always had motivation, you know, and motivational words to, to encourage me, to keep me going. That's exciting, man. I mean, that sounds great. And I'm going to be with Tumalen Kune and Munit Dozos and those names you mentioned, Rowan Fernandez. You must have learned a lot from watching them and training with them. Yes, that was um, probably the, one of the biggest reasons why I, um, I, I, you know, I grew so quickly as a goalkeeper because uh, there's always been a trait of mine to um, to steal a little bit here and there of of. Um, goalkeepers that I felt had certain aspects in the game that was better than mine. Like, I mean, even when I started at um, at Bloemfontein and Celtics and I had um, Postnet Omoni, which was the Ugandan number one at the time, and I knew he was a great shot stopper. Um, his distribution at that time was also on point. And those are the small little things that I used to pick up from him. I mean, I was, again, a lot better with uh, dealing with crosses, uh, aerial balls, and um, I knew that I needed to find a good balance in my goalkeeping. And I feel that that is what all goalkeepers need to um, understand. And, and they need to be able to, to pick up what is their weaknesses and work on it. And I knew that, you know, I had a lot to learn. Um, I had a lot uh, that I needed. Regards to... Um, to Munip, I mean, Munip was a short goal, was a shorter goalkeeper, if I must say so. Well, I think it was one eight three, one eight four, and but he was a brilliant shot stopper, and he gave this presence in his goals. Uh, and I need, I knew that I needed that because uh, at the beginning of my career, I was a bit of an introvert, and he told me that you need to have a certain character and this certain presence, and that's what he had, uh, and that's what made him. Such a phenomenal goalkeeper. Besides, yes, he was a good shot stopper, a good read of the game. Um, and yeah, he just, um, that's what I picked up from him. And then we had Tumil and Kune, which, you know, was, was, a, was a very all round goalkeeper, well balanced goalkeeper. Um, literally, any characteristics that you would look in a goalkeeper, he had a, a plus 7 out of 10. Um, if it was distribution, that was 10 out of 10. If it was um, uh, shot stopping, it was an 8 out of 10. If it was aerial balls, it was a 7 out of 10. So, you know, he was a very well-rounded and there's a lot of things that I could pick up from him, diving techniques. Uh, but you always need to go out there with the, with the idea of always learning. Even though you're at the biggest stage or the biggest stage, or you with you're going to train with your club, you always have to have the idea that you always want to grow and learn each and every day. No, that's some fantastic advice. Uh, 
And yeah, Munip was a lion in the goalpost. I could remember his fearless character. I mean, let's crack into the first question before we get uh, lost in the whole journey of the 2010 World Cup. How did your journey in football begin? What made you realize it was your career path? Well, you know, I, as a footballer, I am started at the age of seven at Bluebells in Cape Town. Uh, I even forgot to ask, where are you uh, from? I'm originally from Zanin, Limpopo. Okay. Right now, Johannesburg, Bedford View. Okay, now so I'm in London at the moment. Uh, we actually stayed, I stayed in, in Bedford View when I was um, still at uh, Pumalanga Black Aces because we were based in Johannesburg. Um, out at the Italian club. We started off at the Greek club at Corinthians um, for a couple of months and then we moved to the Italian club, um, which is probably was close to you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so um, yeah, going back to the original question, um, started at the age of seven uh, as, as a footballer, infield player. You know, all goalkeepers uh, originally start as either a striker or winger. And yeah, um, played most of my juniors at, at Bluebells in Cape Town. Um, it's a local football club. And I mean, I was, I think I was 15 or 16 years old and started growing this like for, for goalkeeping. And, and I wasn't even really a tall, tall boy. I only shot out at the age of 18 or 19. And I remember uh, our local football club was trying to get promotion to a league higher than in the district itself and well, the coach just threw me in into the senior team and he said you know what uh, you're going to stand in the playoffs and i stood in the playoffs and did really well but at that time i was 16 years old so i was playing under 17 as a right off at that time it was right off right wing now um, in the, the 19 team i was playing as a striker and then in the first team the senior team i was the goalkeeper so I had a lot of uh, different positions in one year, but I enjoyed it. Uh, so I played two matches on a Saturday. I used to play a midweek game for the under-19s. And yeah, and then it just grew from there where I, I was enjoying playing first team goalkeeping. And um, after, I think it was, yeah, it was about 18. And then um, one of my uncles, my mom's brother, uh, he just, you know, arranged that I go to Milano, which is also in Cape Town, but they were playing in the Mozepe League. At that time, it was called the Vodacom League. Um, and then I played Bale Tournament with Milano as well. And yeah, I did quite well. And then um, I just continued after matric uh, working, you know, at, in, in, in that time, I mean, it was what, the year 2000? It was clubs that was rejecting me as a fully professional. And Booby Solomons um, gave me a call one day because my uncle uh, was, was an imam. Well, it still is the imam at one of the mosques that uh, Booby Solomons uh, is, is a member of. And yeah, he just uh, gave me a call and came to fetch me one day at work. And I had a trial with Santos. Uh, Gordon Egerton was the coach at the time. Andre Aronson was the first choice goalkeeper, and uh, it was it was a great experience. And they signed me, but I played for the feeding team, which was Newton's FC. At that time, we played in the Glad Africa, which was the NFD okay. um, Vela League at that time. Yeah, and then 
Yeah, from there, we got relegated to Vodacom, and then I moved uh, to Klaipainens. Um, I played there for three seasons in the Vodacom. We lost out on promotion the one year we went to the playoffs. Uh, we needed a draw. We lost 3-1. And yeah, in between those, the years, uh, got rejected for the national team under 23. Um, and was quite disheartened and um, felt that, you know what, I'm just going to work and play part-time, but always play as, at the highest level that I possibly can. And then I got a move to Vasco. Um, in the NFP in 2004-05 season and we made it to the playoffs. Uh, we lost out to Benoni Premier that year and in that team they had a phenomenal team. They had Bernard Parker in the team. I'm sure you'll be aware of Bernard. He's now still at Chiefs. Um, Tsepo Masilela, which left back, uh, was in that team and they had uh, yeah, some phenomenal players and they got promoted. And in the playoffs, it was televised. And Bloemfontein Celtics gave me a call and asked, you know, you want to you know, sign a professional contract. I was a bit reluctant at first um, because uh, I always looked at security. And I always, you know, in the back of my mind, you always have this, this negative thoughts of, you know, what if you only sign a year? So you're leaving a job um, that you've been working Five years as a photocopy and fax technician for Nashua. Um, and also, I mean, I just got married at that time. And do you take the risk, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, at that time, agent and a very good friend of mine, uh, Rastam Simons, he said, you know, you keep asking, you know, what if you don't extend a two-year contract? Or, or, and then he said, but what if you do? You know, uh, or what if you continue? What if you have a 10-year career, 15-year career, which I fortunately ended up having, which is a great thing. And yeah, then I just, we flew down. um, I had a look at the the city, which was, you know, Cape Town born boy. In the heart of winter, you fly into Bloemfontein where everything is brown. And uh, at that time, just, uh, you know, they were still living in the, in, the, in, the, in the old days where you see a lot of white people. And, I mean, you're coming from Cape Town, predominantly colored. Now you're going there and, you know, it's hardly even a colored. Um, if, you, if you see a colored once in, in two weeks, it's, you know, it's a miracle. So, um, yeah, it was a big change, big challenges. Um, and then, yeah, that was, the, again, the next obstacles. Uh, I mean, I decided, yeah, let me take the risk take the chance and put confidence in myself that, that you know, I can succeed in, in the football fraternity. And, yeah, it, it worked out at the end after, you know, a lot of obstacles uh, at, at Plumont and Celtics as well. No, that's, uh, that's a fantastic story, man. I mean, you got to risk it for the biscuit. I mean, <laughs> otherwise you, <laughs> you sit there. Otherwise you always just, yeah, you always just be dreaming. Right? I mean, yeah, you know, I, yeah, we over the years I've also just looked at um, you know the successful footballers that came out of Cape Town and and I think at the moment the ratio is quite low you know with players leaving Cape Town and I think it's more because uh, comfortability um, you're in a comfort zone in Cape Town and to leave your comfort zone we also don't have that that strong mentality to succeed uh, outside or make it. And those are one of the biggest challenges and I think one of the uh, 
best attributes that I say that I, I, I could have overcome or characters that I could have overcome was, was to overcome that challenge. 100%. I mean, nothing grows in the comfort zone. Uh, question number two, what difficulties did you incur on your journey to becoming a professional footballer? Probably the biggest one was rejection. Um, I mean, I, I remember playing Vodacom uh, and we used to play friendlies against your Ajax Cape Town, your Santos, and I used to always admire these players and always thought, you know, uh, is this the day, even if it was friendlies, is this the day that I'm going to impress one of them or is this the day that, you know, they will look at me and sign me or, um, but always being, you know, even... Like I said, uh, right at the beginning when I was rejected in the under-23, uh, I was actually the first choice for the Western Province team. And they selected the second choice uh, to, to come to Johannesburg to be in the big pool. Um, and then from there, they were going to select the, uh, the national under-23 team in that year. And yeah, that was just one of the biggest things we have. I, was, I even told my uncle at, that, at, at the trials or... At the tournament, I told him, you know what, I'm done with uh, trying to be a professional. Um, and what I've picked up there was, was that when I stopped trying was when I was playing best and when I actually got noticed. So mm -hmm. uh, for me, uh, an advice to, to people would always be, you know, even when you're training or when you're playing, even if it's an amateur level, always train and play like somebody important is watching, but also in the same breath, don't cry too hard. Um, so yeah, to, to answer your, your first question, second question was uh, the main obstacle was rejection. Um, and later on in my career, I realized that it, it wasn't just rejection, it was just an opportunity for another club to see you or another club to take you or another opportunity to present itself in the future. Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, that's, that's important. What was your most successful season and uh, the, the secret ingredient behind it? Hello, Shweb. Can you hear me? Hi, sorry, man. You're just waking up there now. Yeah. Okay. I can hear you now. What okay, was the now. next question? Uh, what was your most successful season and the ingredient behind it? So, for me personally, my most successful season was probably Pumalanga Black Aces. Um, we, we never won anything. So, successful with, with probably reward. Uh, I would say was the first season with Cape Town City where we won the Telcom. Okay. Um, but I mean, the Telcom Cup was was won within the first five months of the season. But for me, successfully, uh, was the season before that. Um, just the, the zone that I was in and the, the football that I was playing and the man of the matches that I had the good games, the, the consistent clean sheets. I, I don't know what exactly the stats was, but I mean, I think I went like five games or three games without conceding a goal. Um, after six games, conceding one goal, um, saving your team 
uh, on three or four matches uh, in the dying minutes uh, consistently, keeping a team in the game uh, with one-on-one saves. Uh, yeah, I would think it would probably be... The ingredient for that season was, again, getting out of a comfort zone. So the comfort zone then was... Um, you were playing regularly at Maritzburg United. You were the captain. Uh, still up to now, I think I've got the most amount of games for Maritzburg. So I think it's 111, myself and Peter Peterson. Um, with Maritzburg for that five years, it was either you're fighting relegation or, um, you know, you're just in and around there. So, you know, you're guaranteed to play week in and week out uh, because you are the number one. Yes, you train hard, you self-motivate, but you're always fighting. It's either the fight for uh, relegation or just above the relegation zone or, you know, so it was always weekend and week. It was a fight, but just getting out of that comfort zone of, you know, guaranteed number one. Now you're going to Pumalanga Black Aces. You're competing with Jackson Mabohwani, which was a, a regular in the Bafana squad in that years, that year and a half. And game number game number one, super sport, um, I wasn't even on the bench. Um, and game number two, I was on the bench against Sundowns and Jackson Mabakwani got a red card, but we just before halftime. And we were leading 1-0. Eddie Ngallo scored a header from a corner, I remember it. 29th minute, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> 40th minute, Jackson Mabakwani comes out, handballs the ball, gets a straight red card. First shot I'm saving is Tickle Modisius into half time. Second half, we literally shot. And they were coming and coming and up front, and I'm just knocking long balls to him and saving at the back. And then from there, I just, you know, cemented the place. Uh, Jackson was was relegated to the bench, uh, played a few cup games. If I remember correctly, I think I played about 23 or 24 overall games that season, PSL games. Um, and I got nominated for goalkeeper of the season. And the ingredient was, was always, just for me, was just to put yourself always on your toes, knowing that any slip-up, uh, any mistake or any loss, which actually happened as soon as we lost, even if it was 1-0 to a penalty. Mushinetrigal said, it's not back to the bench for you. In with Jackson Mabohwan. So I think the ingredient was just having that type of pressure and um, growing from that pressure and excelling from that pressure and not uh, falling to the pressure, I think was the biggest ingredient that I had that season. And, you know, for consistency, but it also comes with age, you know, with, with us goalkeepers, um, a maturity, you, you, you mature a lot later. I mean, that time I was 34, and I always had it in my mind that uh, Edwin van der Sar signed for United at the age of 34 and had an exceptional seven years with him or seven seasons with him. And that was always my thing was that if he could do it, um, Juan Luigi Buffon can do it. Yeah. Uh, still play exceptional in the 30s. Arthur Bartman for a local guy, the late Arthur Bartman could do it, play exceptionally well for Kaiser Chiefs at the age of 38, 39. Um, Andre Aronson could do it. Um, was motivation for me that this could, this is your, your, you know, this is your peak 
as a goalkeeper. Whereas, for example, infield players, it would be uh, 28, 29. Between the ages of 33 and 40, I think, is, is, is when goalkeepers can actually play their best years. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's inspiring to know you kept that drive and uh, handled that pressure at that late in your career. And, uh, yeah, I think, um, sorry to break you there, Abdul. I think, I think what made me not succumb to that pressure was the age, was the maturity level. I think had I been 24, I think I would have succumbed to that pressure. I would have probably had one good game uh, or two or three good games. And then maybe your head gets bigger or maybe you think on top of the world. And subconsciously, that, that sometimes you do in your performances. You might tell yourself on training, work harder, work harder. Uh, but you just have that certain uh, chip on your shoulder, which I always believe is, is a problem for goalkeepers, but it's a maturity thing. And we need to work on mentality and mindset, especially in our local football goalkeepers. Besides also the infield players, which I also think um, sports psychology is very important. You know, you mentioned the maturity part. I want to know, like, what was the difference when you say maturity, when you were 24 and when you were 34? What changed in the maturity that gave you that, uh, that, gave you that edge that you needed? I think... You know, for, for me is and, and a lot of a lot of a lot of footballers fall into the pressure of just the limelight, just the attention, you know. Um, and I, I again will say is why I feel our, our foreigners or our Europeans will, like we aspire to play in Europe or our footballers do, why they are so successful at younger ages and don't fall into those type of things is because even during your academy years, you are, for example you are interviewed um, from a press conference but they practice, they train you they train those things, they train them, them, the mental side, you go to sports psychologists you speak about it, this is how to prepare for when that first 10,000 rand paycheck comes from earning 500 rand or this is what happens when there's a whole lot of cameras on you or when you're walking down the street for example and this one is saying hey, Troy Walters or that one, hey, this those are they are they prepare us, and unfortunately, in in our development in South Africa, they don't prepare you for it. So, you're coming from always seeing your idols on TV when it comes from, and and we also have to look at it that what is uh, I don't know the exact statistic, but I know that it's, it's 80 or about percentage of our uh, footballers come from disadvantage or below or just above disadvantage average uh it can't be more than 90 uh, can't be more than 10 percent of them coming from wealth you understand so now you're looking on tv for example you're a 12 year old boy now and you see tumel and kune and then you look in the newspaper and or you look on soccer latum or whatever website it is uh the look at his rides Oh, and then all, what do you see? You see Audi or whatever or range or, this, or whatever football it is. And the first thing you think to yourself is, I want that. Mm. Or I want that house. And then, then that's what you go into. And then when you earn that first paycheck, that's what you want. So, um, yes, sometimes the media and those things sell a lot of bad things to our aspiring footballers. But those are the things that your academies must also prepare the 
and just going back to it was that was just the difference was just the just overcoming the attention overcoming you doing well overcoming you uh first thing i used to do when i was 24 old uh on a wednesday am i in soccer latuma's uh, team of the week i'm in the team of the week i kept the clean shit i remember and and but when i was 34 it was okay if you're in you're in it's fine if not it's just about the next game the next game Whereas when I was 24, it was, am I in here? Go on to kickoff. Uh, what did they say to you? Make all these five saves or 10 saves. Do you understand? And those are just the mindset. The mindset changes. 100%. That's uh, great. Yeah, man. So, uh, you say humility helps in terms of uh, if you're young and you uh, practice humility, would that improve your chances of having a successful career? No, definitely humility goes a long way. And it's always something that I'm preaching with with my with my with my younger goalkeepers now, or even uh, the team that I coach um, is always and I'm always hard on them. Always hard on them because I always want them. Uh, even when they play well the weekend, uh, come Monday, I'm even harder. Because I want to try and try and work and find ways to keep them as humble as possible, because I think that will always keep them to grow uh, as footballers, especially when they're doing well as well. So let's go to the next question. Uh, you mentioned the public image part, so you kind of answered this question already, but how important is it as an athlete's public image? Like, how important was it for you? Uh, how important is an athlete's public image and how did it affect your life as you mature? Look, um, I, I do believe it's good to have a, a good public image. And I think um, what I can take of it is when I, when I follow certain social media platforms and I can see they always would, a lot of people always say I'm, uh, down to earth or when I meet somebody and they'll post the photo whatever on Facebook they always say it was great to meet Troy Bolt is uh, very down to earth guy I I've always been that way I've always been I've never had never been the person and I always re I always remember I was I don't know which year it was could have been twin that year when I was at Black Aces and um, my son and I was actually at the spa in Melbourne and we came out of the spa and there was this certain actress um i don't want to mention who uh and she was in the video store and then we went you know and asked look can we take a photo and it was the sunday and she just said not right now uh it's my off day <laughs> so i've always taken that is as a personality or an, uh, a footballer or like i said a personality a celebrity it's never a day off. It's, if you want, if you have chosen this career path or this journey, you have to fulfill it all the time. Mm. And that's something I would never do. And that was just a reminder to me was that to, to never be that way. And uh, um, when it comes to the public image, I always believe that try and keep your personal life as private as possible and or not portray, but be what you are at home. Uh, and that was was always my thing. If 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 I would uh, greet my my cousin or one of my best friends or my family, certainly I greet and 
and outside are the same. Um, I've always just treated people exactly the same. I don't care, you know, who you are, what, where you come from, or um, I could be dead tired. And you want to take a photo, for example, you want to have a chat, always. Um, I believe it's good for you as a person to be that way because you also have to remember where you came from. And uh, you you must have been a kid one day uh, wanting to get a signature from this one or that one. And how you have felt if they... So you always try and just, you know, reverse the roles. Um, this person is admired to you. You've made their day. Don't give them a, a side of you that uh, is... Well, not a side of you or worsen their day because they're the ones also that have supported you through your your, your career and journey uh, you're a fantastic role model for the youngsters i must say and uh i hope they they learn from you a lot shweb uh, how did you pick yourself up from a loss like when you went through rough patches what helped you yeah, again um in in the in the earlier years, uh, it was it was devastating. No, actually, no, it wasn't. It was it was a lot harder in my later years. In my earlier years, uh, I would go. Uh, for example, we play away, so we play a night game, play Chiefs in Johannesburg. Uh, game finishes at ten o'clock. Have supper. Uh, you you uh, in your hotel room, but by, by midnight. Now the game would normally come up again one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. I'd watch the game. But I never look at the result or, or no or how much we lost by always look at my performance, which I think was a bad thing because I always wanted to make sure that I did well, which was a little bit selfish. Uh, okay, actually a, a lot selfish. Um, and then later on, it became harder because now I started analyzing the game. Not only, yes, you look at your performance, but what could you have done better? So, in my earlier years, I'd look at the goal. Okay, fine. Goal is a goal. But in my later years, is what could I have done better to, to prevent the goal? Or even when, the, when it came now with a one-on-one or the shot or, or my dive. So, again, maturity. And it's also something that I believe that we should teach and, and help our development players or aspiring players is to self-criticize your performance. So, in my later years, what I would do is, in a loss, after supper, in the room, look in the mirror. Poof! Now you now you're playing this game back. What can I? What could I have done better? Uh, instead of because sometimes you, you only look at you look at the goal, but you kick the ball long and the ball was lost and it came straight back and it was goal. So could you have changed direction? Could you have played from the back, uh, or you played from the back and you got dispossessed and they scored? So now you're looking at those things way before even the ball actually even went to the back of the net. So, for me, it was, I wouldn't sleep. I wouldn't sleep. I would play, I would watch the game again. Um, now we're looking at two o'clock in the morning, the game would normally be played, finishes at half past three. Now you're sitting and you're tossing and you're turning. Next thing you look at four o'clock and now your roommate, you wake him up. Okay, now you're sitting... And then five o'clock, I have a cup of coffee or early breakfast, and, and then you're obviously back on your way back to back to home. Now you're morbid. Um, also, a lot of a lot of the yeah, earlier days, it was you posting. Now you want uh, you want sympathy or empathy from the supporters. You know, don't worry. But you're looking at that thing of 
uh, do they blame you or don't they on social media? And I posting, oh, uh, I'm so, so upset or disappointed with the result last night. And all those things is, it just adds up to, to your negative thoughts in your head. So my next advice to the aspiring ones is, yes, it's good to post you are disappointed, but don't post into a situation where you're looking for a response because that is just you feeling sorry for yourself. And for me, I've always believed this, don't feel sorry for yourself because it's gone, it's done. Don't look for people because the longer you do that, the more the negative thoughts are going to stay in your head. And that's what I picked up from somebody like Munib. I mean, Munib could make a mistake now. And that's why he had such a good, successful career at, at Orlando Pirates. Orlando Pirates is one of the hardest clubs to play for. And he had a torrid time the first six months. I remember. He was conceding goals from the halfway line. But he will tell you, dude, two seconds after that goal, that mistake that I made, it's forgotten about. It's like you have that, they call it the, the goldfish analogy. <laughs> yeah. Three seconds. And that's yeah. what I also realized. And and this about looking for uh, answers or um, making you feel better from from supporters or this that 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 just is not on. Just it's gone. It's done. You lost. Reanalyze. Yes, I'm disappointed for the team. Disappointed for myself. Done. We look forward to the next game. Okay, cool. That's it. And then that's what helped me a lot through yeah through losses. And I mean coming from. From Maddensburg, it was it was a lot more than what it was wins. Okay, no, that's uh, that's great advice. Just keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Yeah. Oh, great man. And uh, let's talk about life after football. How did you find that transition from football? It's tough. Um, it it became tougher. <laughs> with um, with a pandemic, yeah. and but for me is again I've I've realized that not realized but through rejection in, in my football you're gonna get rejection after football uh, just just the way of life I mean people that I mean they're saying even even out even people looking for jobs now becoming despondent, disheartened because they're just being rejected, rejected. But it's always it's a rejection is but for me when 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 I hear rejection is like no, yes, that's fine. You rejected me. Where's the next opportunity? Where's the next one? That's me. Um <laughs> I when and and my friend is actually okay, he's just leaving now. Uh the guy that uh, I called and I said, look. Uh, I'm not in the mood. This was June, uh, May 2019. I escaped and said, look, we're not going to renew. You can find yourself out of the club. So I asked myself, now, are you... But I've always said, even during my playing career, that I'm going to retire when I lose the passion for playing. Mm. Now, I started goalkeeper coaching in 2016 in Cape Town at a, at a school and then at a... SAP team in Aiderfeld. Um, and I started, you know, enjoying it. And, and I always knew I was going to become a goalkeeper coach. Uh, and then I grew the passion. And even at Ajax Cape Town my last year, uh, I started training the under-19 goalkeepers at Ajax um, in, in my spare time. 
Um, and, and I started enjoying more the coaching side of things. And then May, uh, yeah, I accepted and said, look, we're not going to renew. Um, and then I said, okay, am I now going to prepare uh, and phone clubs? And, and you know, the, the, the unfortunate part about clubs in South Africa is that no matter your experience, no matter what you can add, they're still going to say you have to come for trial. And I said, uh, this traveling stories, I also started, uh, you know, started not, not enjoying so much anymore uh, as a player. And I said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to do this whole thing about trials and this and that. And I've already planned what I wanted to do afterwards because when I moved to Black Aces, the plan was, was to sign a two-year contract and hopefully do well in that two years and sign another two years, but then start building my life in Johannesburg because I knew that Johannesburg had a bigger demographic of what I wanted to build awareness of, which is our lack of development in goalkeeping. So after 2019 with Ajax, I said, you know what, now is my time to relocate. Spoke to my partner. Um, and then my friend that just left now, um, I called him and I said, look, I'm going to come down for a couple of weeks, um, starting just to plant seeds. Now, when I was a player, I would have short-term goals and long-term goals. So after 10 games of my first season at Bloomington Celtics, I got to play also at halftime because the goalkeeper got injured. We were 1-0 down against Black Leopards and we won that game 2-1. And I played the whole season that first season. So when I played that first game, I said I want to play five more games. And I played five more. When I played consistently those five games, I said I want to play the whole season and keep the Uganda number one out. I did that. Then in that season, I said I have a two-year contract with Celtics. I want to sign an extension. And I got that extension. Then after the successful first season, I said, now I want to get a call up for Bafana. <laughs> that was 2006. Yeah. 2008, I got my first call up. Then 2008, I said, I want to be a regular, but through injuries, and I had quite a few injuries um, in that span of two years, I said, I want to be in the World Cup squad, 2010. And then I've succeeded in that. After that, I said, now... I want to play as much games as I can football after the World Cup. Because then the offers were coming. You can go to Denmark. Or, but because of the amount of money that was pumped in South African football post-2010, it was easier and more comfortable to stay at home uh, financially. Mm. So then I said, now I just want to play football. Now, after that, you could have gone to Sundowns and be your third choice or Kaiser Chiefs and be second choice to Tumalin Kune. And then you're playing... 10 games in two seasons. I said, no, uh, I'm getting decent money at Maritzburg and, I, and I'm going to play, which for me is what my very important to me. And I said, I want to play for five years. So I, I know I was a little bit off track, but I've always set goals, short-term and long-term goals, and always pushed as hard to succeed. So 2019 came and I said, because 2015, when I was at Aces, it was, you sign a two-year deal, sign another two-year deal, but you open up your goalkeeping academy in Johannesburg 
you build awareness, you start your coaching badges, try and see what is happening with Safa. But I also always wanted to be a football analyst. Okay. Supersport is in Johannesburg. SAP is in Johannesburg. So that was the reason why I moved to, to ACES. I was actually one of the saddest people when we were sold to Cape Town City and I had to move back to Cape Town. <laughs> uh, even though I'm a Capetonian, I, I was I was upset. I was actually very very upset. And then what angered me even more was when when Mushin then went to Pirates, Mushin Etrugal, and then he left us at Capetown City. And I'm like, damn! But those are hurdles and those are obstacles yeah. that you are over that you have to overcome as a footballer. So 2019, I called, spoke to my partner. I said, look, it's my time now. I'm done playing. I'm not even going to entertain any team or anything. I'm going to relocate to Johannesburg. Phone my friend. He says, no, come. You can stay with me for two weeks. Plant seeds. You know, uh, people that were telling you when you retire one day, which I can tell everybody is a load of crap because everybody says, when you retire, call me. I have a job for you. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> Professional ranks, uh, whether it is uh, clubs, whether it is media, everything. So I came to Johannesburg, contacted a few people. Then I started working with um, with Farouk uh, Khan at Stars of Africa. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. and, I, and I started, um, yeah, I worked with these goalkeepers for six months. And in that time was, I said, okay, I want to have my own goalkeeping academy. I want to work as a head coach in the development structures. And I want to be an analyst. Oh, that's great. Now, now, 2019 wasn't <laughs> pandemic. Now I'm contacting the analyst companies or stations, and they said, "No, sorry, we don't have any openings." I said, "Okay, fine. When can I contact you again? Uh, end of the season." Okay, fine. And I contact. Then, um, Baruch. Khan says, look, uh, it's going to be a little bit difficult to keep you on. This was January 2020 for the year, but you did an exceptional job, but obviously, you know, financials and this and that, you couldn't. I said, okay, fine. Rejection, it's fine. We started the academy with three or four boys. We up to now about 10 or 15. Um, even through 2020, uh, and I started contacting this people, that people. Um, even a coach like Zika Marx, uh, I contacted him in 2019, maybe even to just come and be. Um, he was at Maccabi, and I think Swallows bought him at the time, and he was there. And I said, look, I can even come in as your third choice, but your goalkeeper coach. He said, look, unfortunately, this, that, that. I said, okay, it's fine. January, he calls me and says, uh, I have an academy. And I wanted to be my under-17 coach. Well, no, uh, he was looking for a goalkeeper coach. And then we set up a meeting with Zeke and his son, Yuriko. And they said, look, we want you in as the goalkeeper coach. How would it look? And I said, oh, yeah. So I asked, what about the academy? And so they said, no, we actually uh, have an under-17 and under-23. And we're looking for a coach. They said, okay, I'll, I, can, I can coach for you. So yeah, let, me do, let, me tell, let me do it because this is what I want to do. And then Zeka said, yeah, we'll give you the job because send your CV. So I got into Boulderstone Sports Institute, which have a football academy on the side, BSI. 
under 17 coach there this year from January um, back to 2020. Sorry, so now we're in COVID and I'm still trying my luck here, trying my luck there. And then I get rejected, rejected, rejected. Um, and then they just called me, SAPC called me, come for, in for an audition after literally pestering them. I'm not going to lie. Uh, the, 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 one of the directors, they even just told me, oh, yeah. So I go in for the audition. It was the women's FA Cup final. Yeah. But it was played already. So this was November. So they said, look, you're auditioning. I was under the impression the audition is for the women's Premier League, which was starting in December. So I go for the audition. Everybody says, look, you did exceptionally well. I said, okay, fine. I'm excited. And come end of December, I see, but I'm not on the panel here. So now I'm messaging. Like, you know, I did auditions. They said, I did well. They said, don't worry. This was January this year. They said, don't worry. We have a plan for you. I said, okay, fine. I didn't want to ask, what's the plan? But I, I left it. Uh, two weeks later, I asked again, so what can I do? Or, you know, is there any feedback? They said, no feedback yet. We'll keep in touch. Oh, fine. Two weeks later, I'm again. And I asked, uh, is there anything else that I can do? So in this time, I already started uh, on Sowetan TV uh, doing this Monday Night Football where we do the PSL rap. And preparing, this was from August last year, uh, doing podcasts, with wrapping up football matches, giving. So I said, is there anything else? That... So one of the directors, they just told me, uh, because I messaged the director and then one of the producers also, and he just said, I asked, is there anything else that I can do to, um, you know, to help my chances? And his message was just straight. Stop putting pressure on us. <laughs> but it's but bottom line is, and I'm not gonna advise people to annoy other people, but I am gonna say, plant a seed in your head. Utter it. My mother always told me that. Utter what you wanna do. No, first think it. Then you utter it, but you keep saying that. And that's what I did there. And then I said, okay, do you know, that was February. I said, now nah, nah, I'm done. I, I can't do anything else. Now. Other day, I'm just going to scratch my name out. March, they came and they said, we have a contract for you. February, I started as a football analyst uh, doing the national, the Hollywood Superbet National uh, Women's League. I'm enjoying it. I'm loving it. I'm a head coach of an uh, under-17 team. I've got my own goalkeeping academy with 10, 10 15 boys. Uh, and I'm a football analyst. Mm -hmm. And um, yes, and as well, I, I, I do even grassroots goalkeepers, which I have 15 goalkeepers at one, one club, Rhinestown Warriors FC. Um, I want to thank them for, you know, having a progressive thoughts, um, always looking to progress in, in the football, even though it's, a, it's an amateur club. Um, they brought me on board. I do all the goalkeepers from eight years old right up until 23. Um, and things are good, uh, even under the circumstances. But again, um, I'm, I'm a testament to put your mind to it. Uh, just 
and and don't don't ever let anybody on the side will tell you no this that that um if it was meant for you also it's meant for you everything mm-hmm. happens on its time not on your time um that the uh, one above it's all on his time perfect timing for everything you might think i wanted today comes in two weeks time it's the perfect time yeah. it's not too late it's that perfect time so yeah look i'm thankful even through the tough times okay we're not working now like our football is closed um an unfortunate part is you you only get paid when you work um so but then there's opportunities for other things there's opportunities to start learning like i've uh, just did my kfc course waiting on my certificate now uh, successfully done it looking to do the kfb hopefully later this year um yeah just equip myself as much coaching badges uh, do things properly uh, i mean a lot of people ask why are you not a psl goalkeeper coach um first of all security again like i said right at the beginning i've always looked at security but i always feel that you need to do things the right way to earn that security like if i if i just came as a player and become a coach and i have no coaching badges um you can get fired within two months and now you're running around looking for coaching work without coaching mm. uh, qualifications so mm. as much as i have 15 years of playing experience i was on a course with people that haven't played football but they taught me things when it came to coaching so you always have to, like i say and i said it right at the beginning also you always have to go into every environment and look at the learning opportunities that there are like i say now with a coaching course i mean i learned from people that haven't played they looking up to me and i'm saying no we are all equal um we even have we even had uh, yeye lesulwani on our course we had john arua which was a ex footballer we had pico ex footballer lizo they were all there and these people are like yeah. we like no we are all equal here and that's what uh, even yeye was saying um you know at the course we we are all on the same level when it comes to coaching no oh, that's great stuff man and uh, you know you mentioned balderstone institute uh, funny you mentioned that uh, my last interview was uh, michael balderstone and uh, oh okay the, yeah Yeah, the Did he say anything good about me? I didn't ask about but he mentioned uh Mark Zecker and his son. So before yeah. you mentioned that I was going to say if you're looking for an opportunity Balderstone is doing some great work and then you just brought it up on your own. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, yeah, no, we um obviously like, like yeah, like I said Zecker's the football director. Uh his son is uh, uh the performance director and yeah, we look we've um we've got a, a good team. Um, we've got um a ex man united uh, coach yes. david thorpe yes so yeah Mr. we um yeah look we, we yeah we just recently now got a, a multi year lease uh with modafontein sports complex so we we be moving that side um uh, from january we'll have all our students there uh you come in at eight o'clock in the morning you'll train you'll do your schooling you train in the afternoon parents come and pick you up so it will be a we got a full proper structures going and yeah um this this year obviously through the covid hopefully it will be a lot better next year and a lot more fluent but we've we've um, yeah i think we've got some 
Boulderstone has something great there, and that is why I'm um, excited to be part of it and yeah, fortunate to be part of it. No, that's great, man. And so the next five years for you is looking to nurture the uh, the young talents in goalkeeping and the raise awareness. Yeah, look, we've we've obviously been trying um, to, but everybody's been trying to. I mean, even up until Brian Baloy, uh, to, to, uh, Andre Arantso was asked about it. Um, one of my mentors, Alejandro Heredia, which is uh, he was is a uh, goalkeeper coach instructor. He was my instructor on on my past course. Even he. On Radio 2000, if I'm not mistaken, we also had like a Sunday where they used to interview a few ex-goalkeepers uh, and Alejandro was also on there. Um, and the awareness is there. People know where the problems is. It's just now about trying to invest in it. I mean, like like I even tweeted one time and I said, it's just time to roll up. And that's why I said, um, I don't mind going into the grassroots support. Start working with goalkeepers at 8, 9, 10. Um, let them grow the passion for goalkeeping. Teach them the fundamentals of goalkeeping. We don't know. Uh, it might come out of Bryanston Warriors, um, our next under-17, under-20 under national uh, goalkeeper. And those are... But we need also for everybody to now say, look, we want to roll up our streets. Um, and some t- and most of the time, a lot of the hard work is also done behind the scenes. Like It's easy to go onto social media and do interviews and say, oh, we have a problem about development goalkeeping. Um, this is where the problem is, that's where the problem is. I'm saying I'm going straight into it. I do it. I'm going there to do that. Uh, uh, one of my clients will come with, my, with his 80-year-old boy, his 9-year-old boy, and we're going. We, we are crafting. Um, for me, that is where it's done. But we can't every time say this or say that. Uh, so I'm saying it. And I'm saying it to Safa, we've said it already, we need to start a development program. But we also need to start educating our coaches. Mm. Like the last goalkeeper coach course in South Africa was 2017. And I think maybe one before that was maybe in the, before 2010. So as much as we're saying, yes, we don't have good goalkeepers, we don't have any goalkeeper coaches or educated ones. Mm. They might be good as experience, or uh, football or playing experience, but we don't have coaching experience. So um, that's where we need to start. So I'm saying educate our coaches first. And then from there, our coaches will be educated. Now they will know how to train the goalkeepers. Because now all our, co- all our coaches are doing is just, it's very easy to go onto YouTube and you're doing drills. But you don't know why you're doing the drills. You understand? Uh, yeah, this drill looks nice for eight year old. Let me do it. But then... <laughs> Then you're making the eight-year-old dive, but the eight-year-old can't catch a ball. Mm. So you haven't even taught him how to catch the ball yet. Uh, where's the fundamentals in the catching? Where's his body positioning? Where's this? Where's that? And that's why I'm saying um, my plea now is just to try and get a goalkeeper coaching course. Uh, so if anybody's listening out there or going to listen and hear, please, uh, 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 please allow me to do a course. Uh, I've tried. Um, I've applied through the uh, FAI, uh, the Irish football, to do goalkeeper coaching. You can't do it now because of traveling restrictions. They're not doing online. I applied at the Scottish FA also. I was told to get back a little bit later when COVID is you know, subsided, traveling. But why do we need to go there? 100%. When we have people here yeah. that is qualified FIFA instructors. So. Mm. Why, why am I now 
trying or why is all the other goalkeeper coaches trying? It's because it's not really readily available in our country. Even coaching courses. Um, we have coaching courses for, for aspiring coaches during the season. Why is it not in the off-season? Why is it not now? Why don't they say, let's allocate June and July for, go for coaching so that we can even have footballers come now at the age of 24, 25, getting their badges. Once they're retired or uh, injury happens or you can't play anymore or you can't find a club, poof, I can go into coaching with my qualifications. So, yeah, for me, is, um, we've got a lot of work ahead of us. But uh, now for me, is I just want to do work. Like what what Zeka, give me the under 17 team. I have under 19 players. I have kids from the age of 14, but I'm equipping myself. So if you were to ask me now, is there a PSL job? I'm gonna say, okay, hold up, let me just do things this way first. Um, and then yeah, we can obviously look at that as the next step. Like you were saying, in five years' time, what is your plan to have a successful goalkeeping academy that could potentially supply PSL overseas based teams with good goalkeepers. Um, yeah, I don't wanna I don't wanna jinx it, but but one of my goalkeepers are is actually now on on trial at, at a at a club. And we're gonna keep our fingers crossed that no, he will be successful. 100 percent Yeah. My yeah. first yeah, my first graduate now to 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 be going on a trial. So yeah, we're just keeping our fingers crossed that they, they see what I see. Potential. Mm -hmm. Not just you know, another thing which I have a problem with our, our football clubs is they always want the, the ready product now. They're not willing to, like, I mean, I see potential in them, but potential in six months' time to compete in the PSL, eight months' time. Clubs don't see that. They just see, can they work for now? No, we can't work for now. We need to start investing in, in our youngsters, our local youngsters. Mm. No, 100%. Who knows, maybe you'd be the next person to give out the first goalkeeper course <laughs> in South Africa. You can make it online too. <laughs> you know what? I don't know. I don't know if you're reading my mind, but I, I actually spoke, I actually told this to, to my instructor. I said, I want your job. First of all, because you're old already. So can you prepare me for the next 10 years? Because in 10 years' time, you're going to... You, and we actually have this conversation whenever we have coffee. And I'll say, I want your job because... Then he will say, yeah, he's going to be like shaking already when I'm going to come to him and ask him about the uh, about the course or about the... Um, does he think it's good? And he's going to be shaking already with his Parkinson's and stuff. And So we, we, have, we crack jokes like that. But yeah, that is me. That is my goal. Five... Five years, ten years from now is to be an instructor. I have a lot of symposiums, a lot of workshops around the country. And, you know, I dream big. I'm talking about Africa. Uh, that's that's my goal. And I, and I, I might be a very young, ambitious coach now, but instructor is exactly where I want to go. No, 100%. You have to, you have to dream big. You have to dream big. You have to. So, uh, Shoaib, the next question. What was the best piece of advice given to you that helped you tremendously along your journey? <laughs> Tough one. Nope. Nope, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, 
I'm going to put it exactly like it was said. It was said, go and sit on your musla. Okay. So to translate that, go and sit on your prayer mat. That's it. Okay, no, that's... That like... is it. So <laughs> for anybody else, whatever you or whoever you believe in, there, there's your answer. That's it. Whether it's uh, Judaism or Jewish or Christian or Muslim, Hindu, whatever your ayah is, go and look there. That is definitely an answer. Might not be at that time there, <laughs> but somewhere you'll even walk down the road after that and like, okay, I'm, uh, I'm going with it. I'm going with it. You might have had doubts. But you're walking and you didn't say, oh, wait there, oh, I saw something, I'm going with it. Or, you know, this is not for me, I'm not doing it. No, that's a great piece of advice. And then, uh, okay, so the last question, you're going to need a bit of information before you can answer it. It's more of a personal question. So in school, I was both uh, academic and sports inclined. And uh, I was scouted in grade nine for football. And then uh, my parents, well, they wanted me to secure an academic future before I could pursue a sporting career. So I, I finished matric. I went to the University of Pretoria. I did civil engineering, uh, qualified in COVID. And uh, I completed my studies. Oh, congratulations. Thank you so much. So I completed my studies. And uh, well, now I finally got my parents' blessings. And uh, they said, now you can go and do whatever you want. So um, I've decided to pursue my dream and uh, push for it. What advice do you have for me to that could help me make this possible? As a coach, this should be a great question for you. <laughs> yeah, look, um, for me, is I would just say, do not push to try and Play at the highest level that you can because you've obviously aspired. Um, but also know that it is a little bit more difficult, mm. uh, especially because of the last, what, 15, 20 years? For, what? Between 20, 2000 and 2010, we were looking at 17, eight, well, nine, 17, 18 year olds. From mm. 2010 up, the signing. Kids now 13, 14 years old. I mean, uh, there's a Kenyan boy, 13 years old, I think uh, Barcelona signed him now, Leo Meso, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but because my advice is going to be a little bit biased towards you as only starting professional football at the age of 23, uh, Andre Arendt only started professional football at the age of 23, Nicole uh, Kante, uh, Riyad Mahrez, I always look at them for for inspiration, you know. Um, so just for me, it would be push as hard as you can, and we, if there's a rejection one side, try another way. I mean, for example, we we all I've always said it that coming from Bedford View to London, there's 20 routes that we can. Yeah. My route might have been via the N3. Yours might be 
pass Huddle Park. Yeah. You know, if I can make sense. Like pass Saiti School onto Linksfield Road. Yours might take a lot of turns and things. Mine might be a freeway and, you know, easy flowing. Um, but just push as hard as you can and never give up. Uh, I mean, you have your parents' blessings now, so you were given the opportunity. So now just to try and push and to try and make it. Um, sometimes you also have to start lower than what we expected. We can't always, always expect just to get to the top um, fire escalator. We have to sometimes take some steps. So yeah. might start start um, with with Motsepi. It might even start with local football. Like, for example, I have a 24-year-old, 23-year-old uh, goalkeeper also that's an aspiring footballer. Is actor, he does shoots or whatever. Um, so I, I'm I'm training him now, and I've got him into a local football team. And I said, this is where we can start. But we also play against SAP teams, or we play Motsepe teams. So you could be, you know, next season you could play uh, Motsepe League, and then the following season First Division, and then the following season PSL, or from First Division. Agencies and thinks you're good enough, and then you could get an offer to Thailand, Cambodia, you know. So um, options are endless, routes are a lot. So it's also where you want to, but for me, is just push as hard as you can. And it's not not necessarily you need to define also and ask yourself what is going to be successful for you. Um, again, I'm going to go back, and I can only relate. To, to my experiences. So, um, for me, I had a successful career because I played uh, and not a lot of players get to do it, get to play close to 300 PSL games. Um, that was success to me. For another player, they can be in the same position and, and be 15 years in the game and only play 100 games. But they were, they were at Chiefs or they were at Pirates and they were at Sundowns or whatever. And for them, that is success. So you choose where, what you want to do and, and just push as hard as you can for it. No, I appreciate that. Oh, wait, hold on. Lastly, <laughs> lastly, lastly, always leave room for disappointment. Okay. Because when you leave room for disappointment, it will be easier for you to pick yourself up. No, that's... Uh... Thank you so much. I really appreciate your honest opinion and your advice. And uh, I hope that can help me along my journey. And uh, I'd like to thank, I'd like to thank you for taking the time out. I mean, you have a busy schedule. Uh, you, you still need to do a lot of work to start your, co your coaching course. <laughs> yeah. And do now. Oh, I'm excited for this week actually, because I'm actually doing my first uh, men's game. For, for La Duma, my first international. <laughs> There's another few firsts. My first double header, because it's two games. What else? Sorry? That it? Yeah. Uh, only three firsts. Yeah. So um, I think, yeah. So yeah, I'm quite excited. I have to do a lot of research. What's some football actually now? I think at 12 o'clock. Uh, because three of the teams is actually playing today that I'm going to be analysing on Sunday. So, yeah, a lot of football to watch today. 
some research to do as well. But yeah, it's all part and parcel. But yeah, it's been great, Abdul. Um, okay, no. I will say it's been. Hopefully, in the future, we can maybe grab a coffee, uh, masks on, obviously, um, <laughs> social distancing. But yeah, hopefully, you know, once once this wave has passed and we can uh, be a little bit more comfortable around one another, definitely we should meet up for a nice coffee. We can have a nice chat and we can maybe even just see, you know, how we can assist or help you uh, where you are at or what you are doing now, what's your plans, you know, all those things. You know, I'm always been uh, open to, to suggest or opinions or giving my opinion. Well, that sounds great. Uh, I really appreciate it and look forward to it. Uh, Shweb, uh, thank you so much for for taking the time and uh, inshallah for for people that, I mean. <laughs> that don't understand, it means God will. If God wills, yeah. things work out for you. Good fortune. I wish you good fortune down your journey. And hopefully you can grab that coffee after the 15th of July, I think. We'll talk about that. Uh, I mean, see, uh, but I, if you look at, the, if you look at the, 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 the increase in the rate, um, in, the, in the COVID uh, positive testings and deaths, I, I, I don't see anything happening before end of July. Uh, I, I don't think anything easing before end of July. But yeah, again, let's hope. Yeah. Hard willing. Yeah. But yeah, thank you for having me. No, it's, uh, it's, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day and the England match later tonight. <laughs> Cheers, man. Yeah, I'll see you. Okay, keep well. See you, man. Salam. Salam.